Welcome to another episode of One from the Vaults, the podcast that brings you all the dirt, gossip, and glamour from trans history. I'm your host, Morgan M. Page. One from the Vaults will explore some of my favorite moments from North American and European trans history. I love history because it's my favorite kind of gossip, scandalous, sensational, and most importantly of all, not about me. Directly, anyways. In trans history, there are many tantalizingly brief stories about our ancestors that begin and end abruptly. Many of these mysterious people are lost to history, leaving us only to speculate. Did they die? Or did they commit that slow suicide of self-negation by going straight? OFTV begins with just such a story, my personal search for Rachel, the muse and lover of Lou Reed. In just a few cases, though, we get lucky. Someone who has disappeared from the historical record reappears, or rather, is tracked down by the dogged persistence of journalists, historians, and other interested parties, like me. This week's episode is about just such a person, a woman who went from having a number one hit single in 1960s Canada to suddenly disappearing less than a decade later. Since her disappearance, rumors have persisted among the small but determined group of old school soul and R&B aficionados who have hunted down and preserved her obscure LPs. Did she go straight? Was she murdered? Or, like Greta Garbo, did she simply want to be alone? So join us as we tell the story of that legend of soul, the queen of Young Street, little Jackie Shane. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know you're listening to the Hitchhikers. At the Hitchhikers we have Rolly Simmons on guitar. What do you say, Rolly Simmons? We have Ralph Blair on the bass. We have Wally Blair on tenor sax. We have Jimmy Butler on the drums. And this week, ladies and gentlemen, we have with us also King Herbert on tenor saxophone. We also have Curly Dorgan. Yours truly, Frank Motley, it's just about that time for the star of our review, ladies and gentlemen. Little Jackie Shane, what do you say, Little Jackie Shane? Little Jackie Shane was born May 15, 1940, in Nashville, Tennessee. As a teenager, Jackie lived with Marion James, known as the Queen of the Blues, though she was first known as House Rockin' James. Marion's house was a major destination for touring bands at the time, exposing Jackie Shane to many people who would go on to become stars. Jimi Hendrix, for example, was a member of Marion James's band before he got famous. Jackie began touring as a teen, performing alongside acts like Little Richard, who, it's been said, acted as a mentor to the younger musician. 
They work the Chitlin circuit, which is what the clubs open to black performers and audiences during the era of segregation were called. In these clubs, it was not unheard of to find major, ostensibly straight musicians, such as Aretha Franklin or Ray Charles, performing alongside female impersonators who would serve as the opening act. You can hear more about this in our episode on Sir Lady Java, who made a major name for herself playing in venues like the Red Fox Club. Performers like Little Richard had a certain freedom to express sexual and gender complexity on stage to black audiences. Little Richard himself performed as female impersonator Princess Lavon in some of these venues. But if they wanted to cross over to white audiences, then just like Little Richard, the more explicit gayness, sexual deviance, and gender complexity had to be retooled and toned down into something that straight whites would find less threatening. In this milieu, little Jackie Shane made a lot of sense. To black audiences already familiar with female impersonators and male musicians with naturally high voices, Jackie Shane was a welcome addition, which is what makes the next part of the story somewhat curious. Despite her fit within this circuit, Jackie suddenly left it. She appears next in a club here in Montreal called the Esquire Show Bar in 1960 when she would have been 20 years old. Mid-century Montreal was a swinging place to be. Sometimes called Sin City North, the then mob-run Montreal had an international reputation as a glamorous party town. In addition to its famous red light district full of brothels and drag venues, now gentrified almost out of existence into the Quartier des Spectacles, Montreal was also known as a hub for the black music and performance scene. It seems likely that Jackie Shane ended up in Montreal as part of her touring life. Americans, Frank Motley and his band, The Motley Crew, not to be confused with the Tommy Lee slash Nikki Six 1980s hair metal band, were performing at the Esquire show bar when they picked Jackie Shane out of the crowd one night. Frank Motley had been mentored by Dizzy Gillespie, and his gimmick was being able to play two trumpets at the same time. Motley Crue's sax player, King Herbert, invited Jackie to come to an audition. Jackie showed up in a bright red suit and her hair in an updo, singing Ray Charles covers. The band went nuts. They'd found their singer. Jackie and the Motley Crue moved to Toronto, where Toronto the Good was in the midst of a musical renaissance. Split between coffee houses in Yorkville and taverns on Young Street, the Toronto sound was developing between dozens of different acts, including Jack London and the Sparrows, later known as Steppenwolf, as well as Neil Young and Rick James, and many, many others. This R&B movement 
known as the Toronto Sound, would go on to become a major influence on 1970s American rock and roll, but in the early 1960s was just getting on its feet. Jackie Shane and the Motley Crue found a home for their sound in Young Street, performing at venues like the Sapphire Tavern. It's particularly significant that they played on Young Street rather than in Yorkville due to the proximity of the emergent gay village one street over on Church, which had long been known as a cruising ground and home to underground bathhouses and bars catering primarily to gay men. Homosexuality was still illegal in Canada in the early 1960s, and though cross-dressing was not specifically illegal, police may have used a number of other discretionary laws, such as obscenity, public lewdness, and disorderly conduct, to harass drag queens and trans people at the time, effectively making our lives illegal. One of the many draws to Canada for Black musicians at the time was that Canada was not segregated, at least not as explicitly as the Jim Crow South. While racism was and is alive and well in Canada, many Black American musicians in that era felt freer up north than they did down south. And Canadian audiences were mesmerized, particularly by Jackie Shane. While Toronto Sound bands were known for their flamboyance, costumes, and choreography, audiences had no context for the merging of R&B and female impersonation common in the Chitlin circuit that had given birth to Jackie. Jackie represented something brand new to Canadian audiences, and without the same level of color divide, white audiences ate up her performances. That said, though segregation was not legally mandated on the same level in Canada as in the American South through Jim Crow laws, members of the Motley Crew recount that several Toronto venues would not allow Black people to enter, most notably Le Coq d'Or. And some would express racism more covertly, doing everything they could to subtly make Black patrons feel unwelcome. Another interesting thing to note about the Toronto scene was that Ontario had, at the time, strict laws around Sundays. Unlike the all-night partying of Montreal's Sin City North, Ontario's Lord's Day Act required that clubs stop serving alcohol by midnight on Saturdays, many of them effectively closing by 11.30pm. However, after-hours clubs, such as the Blue Note, stayed open later, allowing Toronto Sound musicians to play as late as 4 a.m. in some cases. The Supremes and other major American musicians would fill the audiences after finishing their own shows. Jackie and other Toronto Sound performers would play for them all night. She wants to know how 
1962, Jackie Shane and the Motley Crue released their single, Any Other Way. The song was originally released that same year by William Bell and again by Chuck Jackson, both straight men. It might be somewhat mm, puzzling to my fellow millennials why a song might be released three times by three different artists in rapid succession. While this may seem strange to our generation, it was actually quite common a practice before the mid-1970s. A quick scan through the charts of any year in the 1960s reveals numerous covers charting at the same time as original recordings. By using a popular song, a band could win new listeners by showing off their unique spin on it. And Jackie Shane certainly had a unique spin. What made Jackie Shane's version of Any Other Way stand out was her context. When she sung the lines, tell her that I'm happy, tell her that I'm gay, tell her that I wouldn't have it any other way, she changed the song from the lament of a straight man into an anthem of gay defiance, a wink towards her freedom. For 1962, this was shockingly explicit. According to a story in Toronto gossip tabloid Tab, released the following year in 1963, Jackie was invited for an interview at Chum radio station, but when she showed up in full drag, they were so beside themselves that they turned her away and refused to play the song on air. However, audiences demanded it pushing Jackie Shane up to number two on the Canadian charts, sandwiched between the chiffons, He's So Fine, and The End of the World by Skeeter Davis. Eventually, Chum had to give in and play Jackie too, just to stay competitive on the airwaves. Jackie's androgynous name and voice caused many listeners to assume she was a cis woman, turning the song into what would sound like a confession of lesbian sexuality, as Zagria points out. However, gay listeners like the then-teenage Carol Pope who would go on to achieve queer cult status through her band Rough Trade, clocked Jackie Shane as one of their own right away. It was obvious to me and my friends that he was gay, Carol Pope told Hazlitt in 2013, before it was known that Jackie later transitioned. Though she would never have another major hit like any other way, Jackie continued to release singles throughout the 1960s. She toured with the Etta James Review as a female impersonator in 1964, though I should note it's unclear whether or not the Etta James Review had anything to do with Etta James. And in 1965, Jackie and her band appeared on the WLAC television show Night Train in Nashville, singing her song Walking the Dog, another cover. 
a recording of this performance remains the only video footage of Jackie's act. In the video, Jackie appears in makeup, wearing a woman's blazer over a sequin top, while behind her, her band plays and three smartly dressed male backup singers dance. And then Jackie Shings comes right at you with Rufus Thomas's Walking the Dog in just a minute. In 1966, the Motley crew ended and Frank Motley started a new band called the Hitchhikers, which also played and toured with Jackie Shane. Following this, Jackie recorded and released her only album, Jackie Shane Live, in 1967. This album is incredible. You can go listen to it in its entirety on YouTube. The music is great for starters, but it's also full of fascinatingly gay monologues such as this one. Listen to me. Love can be gone tomorrow. So try to hold on to what you got. Hold on to what you got. I'm talking to you girls. If you're square, that means hold on to your man, baby. <laughs> Lord have mercy. Makes no difference what shape he's in. Makes no difference what your best friend, your mother, your father, your sister, your brother say about him. If he loves you, you know you love him, baby. Get a good grip on him because you're going to need him. In the midnight hour, you know, when you feel like you want to make whoopee or something, he's yours, you can do what you want to with him. You know, because if you think somebody else don't want your man, <laughs> just kick him out into the streets, baby. And listen to this. Your best friend that was talking about your man will have him and gone before you can count one, two, three. Believe it or not. You see, I'm a witness to this. You know what my woman told me one night? She said, Jackie, if you don't stop switching around here and playing the field, <laughs> listen, and bringing that chicken home, you're going to have to get to stepping. <laughs> I said, uh-huh. I grabbed my chicken by one hand, baby, and we've been stepping ever since that night. <laughs> you see, I couldn't let her dictate to me. I look better than she does all over. Then I know how to please a little better than she does, too. That helps. And you see, I won't have it no other way. My mother told me before now, I went home, she said, I'd like to believe that we're all worldly enough to cotton on to what Jackie is talking about here when she says chicken. But for those not in the know, chicken is gay slang for young male trade. Jackie repeatedly uses the phrase chicken to mean men she's sleeping with in this album. Even the album jacket states, quote, warning, this album is not meant for squares. 
You've got to be down with it and can't quit it, baby. What are Jackie's likes and dislikes? Well, you know Jackie likes chicken. Even when food is concerned, Jackie likes chicken. The only problem is when Jackie suggests, let's go out and get some chicken after the show, you can't be too sure what he has in mind. Jackie also recounts her experiences being targeted for homophobic and transphobic harassment on the street. The year her album came out, Canada was in the midst of a heated debate over whether or not to decriminalize homosexuality. Pierre Trudeau, future celebrity prime minister who would go on to famously date Barbara Streisand while in office and father Canada's current prime minister, made headlines when he proposed the decriminalization of homosexuality through the omnibus crime bill. His aphorism that the state has no place in the bedrooms of the nation still reverberates through Canadian society today. This debate was influenced by the contemporaneous decriminalization of homosexuality in the United Kingdom, whose monarchy is still technically our head of state via the Canadian Governor-General, who is appointed by the Queen. 1969, the year homosexuality was finally decriminalized in Canada, Jackie released her final single. The A-side featured a song called Cruel Cruel World, and the B-side was called New Way of Loving. Here's New Way of Loving.
Two years after the release of this single, Jackie suddenly vanished from the Toronto scene. It's believed that she may have run into trouble with immigration. Some have speculated that Jackie left because the club scene was changing. By 1975, the Young Street scene would suddenly vanish and be replaced by strip clubs as burlesque laws were loosened, effectively erasing the 60s musical renaissance. Either way, she landed in Los Angeles where she was offered a position in Funkadelic. But she turned this down to care for an aging aunt. Jackie retired from show business. When her mother died, Jackie and her aunt relocated to Nashville. It is around this time that Jackie began living as a woman. After this, well, no one really knows. Rumors circulated over the next few decades as musicians and soul fans continued to buy and share her records. For a while, there was a rumor that she'd committed suicide. Then it became that she was murdered in 1998. Still, no one could pin down exactly what had happened to the Queen of Young Street. In 2010, Elaine Banks recorded an audio documentary for the CBC in which she interviewed many of the musicians who'd worked with Jackie, particularly members of the Motley Crew. Banks dispelled a number of rumors, including that she'd been Little Richard's cousin and, most notably, that she'd been murdered. This documentary brought a sudden influx of interest in her brief career and mysterious disappearance. But still, no one could find her. In 2013, Hazlitt published a long read on her titled, I Bet Your Mama Was a Tent Show Queen, but still no new details emerged. The following year, Sonia Reynolds and Lauren Horty released a shadow puppet video about her that played at a number of LGBT film festivals. A mural on Young Street was painted which prominently includes Jackie Shane. Finally, ethnomusicologist Rob Bowman tracked her down in Nashville, Tennessee. The 77-year-old was thoroughly surprised that anyone remembered who she was. Bowman recorded 30 hours of interviews with Jackie. Meanwhile, the Numero group began working on a double album to release all of Jackie's recordings, including a number that had never been released before. Douglas McGowan of the Numero group also tracked Jackie down to get her permission and input on the project. Bowman is tasked with writing the liner notes for this release, which is set to come out in October 2017, Jackie's first release since 1969. Speaking to the Globe and Mail, Bowman said, quote, Jackie did not want the idea of being gay or non-straight as something to be focused on. As far as she was concerned, it's as normal as the sky being blue. Jackie is extremely happy that the world has moved, if not 360 degrees, at least a whole bunch of degrees from where it once was. I told her about the mural going up on Young Street. I took a picture and sent it to her, which she framed. 
Jackie has said to me more than once, I never realized I'd still mean something to people all these years later. The life of this elusive Chanteuse remains a tantalizing mystery, but one which may yet be fully revealed. A true trailblazer, Jackie's brief musical career brought an unapologetic queer blackness to Toronto's club scene and Canada's airwaves in the pre-Stonewall era. Jackie's work continues to garner attention from new generations of queer and trans artists in Toronto, as well as among R&B musicians who credit her sound, particularly her bass lines, as major influences. We can only hope that, if she chooses, Jackie will let us know the rest of her story someday soon. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you. This time we'd like to move right along and do a number for you. Little thing, we want to dedicate this to Tony and Party and also to each and every one of you. Little thing we call knocking on it. Thanks for listening to this episode of One from the Vaults, the podcast that brings you all the dirt, gossip, and glamour from trans history. I'm your host, Morgan M. Page. One from the Vaults is written, recorded, and produced by me, Morgan M. Page. It is recorded in Montreal, Quebec, on the traditional territories of the Algonquin and Haudenosaunee. Check out the show notes for all the sources I used. If you like the show, please subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Google Play. And if you'd like to contribute to the making of future episodes, please consider donating to my Patreon at patreon.com OFTV. Patrons who donate $5 or more per month will have access to monthly bonus mini episodes, as well as an archive of all the bonus mini episodes released so far. These cover stories that are a little too short for a full OFTV episode. You can also tweet at me at Morgan M. Page on Twitter. Join us next time for another story from our trans ancestors. Good night. Baby
baby, come on baby, I'm gonna knock on wood. 